The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome to the Boston Podcast. I'm looking at my guest, uh, Kristen DiZallo, and by the way, Kristen, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, if you're me, you're a podcast fan, you're a podcast enthusiast. We were just talking about the ones that you listen to and she listens to all the ones that you guys do this American life and all those crazy crime story, uh, podcasts, which are awesome. Uh, as well as the Boston podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. Unbillable Boston. The check is in the mail. Oh my God. That's a a throwback. Wow. Well done. (laughs) Yes. Your colleague, Anna Byrne was one of the first guests on the previous incarnation of this podcast called uh, unbillable Boston, which, uh, I did not care for the name, which is why we eventually jettisoned it and realized nobody had the Boston podcast. And I was like, why can't I be the Boston podcast? I'm good enough. I'm Boston enough. I was born here. Right. Um, anyway, um, so welcome to it. Uh, before we get to talking to Kristen, by the way, Kristen is a lawyer. Don't hold that against her. Uh, she's an estate planning lawyer. She helps people plan for their future. But there's much more to her. We're going to hear about her history. She was raised by hippies and ghosts. This is not an exaggeration, <laughs> right? Right? Slightly. I, I, did, I actually did a little bit of show prep today. I know people. It's shocking. Um, but um, I discovered a couple things thanks to Kristen filling me in. And we will get to that. She's also got some cool tips. As a relatively new mom, her daughter happens to be the smartest person on the planet, apparently. (laughs) We'll get into that a little bit, too. First, I want to thank our sponsor, the U.S. Postal Service, second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today, usps.com slash careers. By the way, this podcast, in its present incarnation, I usually say it's the only daily podcast in Boston. Well... I think we're going to switch to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, folks. So I know, I know, and I know everyone's crying. And um, it is a sad moment when you have to pare back the frequency of your uh, a daily podcast. But at least for the moment, I think we're going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I hope you're not too broken up by that, Kristen. I think it's a good move. Listen, okay. Stern's on three days a week. I think you can do it, too. You deserve it. Is, you know what? I didn't realize that. Stern's on three days a week. Yeah. So I meant to say this to you before we started recording, but oh, you know what? I didn't even do the tagline to the podcast. This is poor podcasting, people. Okay, <laughs> now listen. Do as I say, not as I do. At the, uh, at the right up front, at the beginning, beginning of your podcast, you should speak clearly, and people should know what your podcast is about. And this is about your city. It's how to succeed in the city and how to f- enjoy the city and get the mo- the most out of it. That's the working tagline. It's not very snappy, but um, we'll we'll work on that. You know, every podcast is a work in progress. Uh, can you tell I'm on my third coffee, Kristen? <laughs> you you got a uh, you got a Starbucks working yourself, so um, this will be a high test podcast. But Stern, so why do you like Stern? Because you were mentioning that you, you you dig him. Oh, I think I love that he is so vulgar and fucking <laughs> <laughs> a great. Yeah, Let's get to he it. He is no yeah. filter. Yeah. Um, over the years, I think his filters come up a bit, but he is wild and yeah. a little uh, loose. He has over the years become a great interviewer, so he's awesome at getting his guests to reveal things that they don't say on other shows. Um, and he is such a hard worker, which yep. comes across 
all the time. And what I always relate back to him is that when he first started in radio, he was awful. I mean, absolutely terrible. Yeah. He was not a natural talent at all. And it's a nice lesson for life for people that even if you start to do something, if you're passionate about it, even if you just suck at it, yeah. if you work, 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 work your ass off for years and years, you can become really good at it and really great. Yeah. I think, and if you enjoy it, and he always wanted to be that guy. He wanted to be that voice. And, but he would, you're right, he would readily admit on the air that he, he would say things like, I suck. And if, if someone better comes along, I'll stop, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but he was, he was absolutely an innovator. The reason why I had a distaste for him kind of earlier in his career is just his use of, of people with special needs. And he would al- always argue that the people with special needs on his show really enjoyed it and he kind of lifted them up. I think that, that frankly was about half true because I think he was laughing at them and, and, and I and think he'd admit that now. He does? I Yeah, I think he that has, over the years, have has such self-reflection on how he's treated certain people in the community, yeah. including people with special needs. And yep. I think his, he, listen, he's still you know, in his 60s. He yeah. still is a little old school. Right. But he's never someone who's not willing to evolve, change, and admit when he's been wrong and said things that are wrong. Yeah. And I think that's a nice redeeming quality. It's a great lesson. Uh, you and I were talking about redemption because your your daughter, even though she's only two, she already loves the concept of redemption. We'll get to that later. That's a teaser, folks. But he, the I give him, Stern, as an example of good good podcasting. I'm a broken record with all this podcasting. By the way, this is brought to you by pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. And if you want your own podcast, visit our website and visit us here at our Westwood Studios. Do you like what we've done with the, done with the place? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like I'm in a Howard Stern studio. Well, I'm not I'm not quite stern, but um, <laughs> we're at least talking about him. The thing I loved about his show was you said um, he has no filter. And that's always been his thing. And I've been kind of hot and cold on that because sometimes it's right to have a filter. Like if if your filter is going to prevent yourself from hurting somebody's feelings, then maybe that's a good filter. However, what you said is, is, is good entertainment in the sense that I would be listening to him, you know, in the car and he would just be bullshitting about whatever is going on in the office, in the studio. And so he's, he'd be like, you know, Robin, the, and I'm making this up, but, you know, Robin, uh, you know, Billy the intern was late again this week. Benji. It's, it's oh, Benji. okay, Benji, the, the fat guy, <laughs> right? So Benji was late again this week, you know, uh, and Robin, you know, uh, what? He was? That's like the third time, that's like the third time this week. I, I know, and I don't know. I mean, eventually we might have to get rid of Benji. And so here I am driving in. I'm saying to myself, oh, I hope they don't, they don't get rid of Benji. I kind of like Benji. <laughs> and it's like, why do I give a shit? Like, well, like And the reason why is because he lets you in behind the curtain. Which is why I tell our podcasters here, like, if you make a mistake, I think the best thing to do on a podcast is roll with it, is admit, you know, I'm an idiot. I look at that. I push the wrong button or whatever. Little things like that. And I think he's always been that way. You know, now he's a live radio or has been for most of his career anyway, so he doesn't have the option of, like, stopping like we do here. But um, I think you're right. I think that's why. I mean, don't over the years... You get to know the members of his weird family, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, I was at the Fish concert at Fenway a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and one of the obscure people on the show was there. And okay. my husband and I were together, and we're like, I, we think, think that's Steve the intern. <laughs> and my husband's like, oh, my God, let's just go upstairs. Let's not pay attention. And I was like, Steve! Yeah. And he turned around, and of course him. we ran away, because I wasn't going <laughs> to talk to him. But um, you feel yeah. like you know them. You know their exactly. personalities. But that's what's nice about it. 
when you don't have a filter, the benefit I see is when you are just a genuine open book person and you're honest. If you're then no filter and just a bad person, you're going to say things that hurt people on purpose and then I'm not going to want to listen to you. But I think genuinely he's kind at heart and Mm -hmm. he allows people in and for better or worse. And I think that just he's so genuine that it makes you just love him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's... It's an easy lesson. It sounds simple, but so many people fail to do it on radio and podcasts. In other words, is just, you know, let us in a little bit. You know, growing up, I listened to Charles Laquadera on WBCN, and he wasn't necessarily the most talented guy in the world, but you felt like he was one of us. And, and Matt Siegel is kind of that guy now, um, you know, grumpy old Matt complaining about, you know, how he had to wait in line at this or that. And it's the same thing that we <laughs> complain about, and we dig that. So... Um, now, Kristen was born in New Jersey. We're not going to hold that against her, but she's been here for 20 years, which means you moved here when you were like four, I guess. Yeah, um, so, I was. So we're locking her in. <laughs> we're locking her in the Boston vault because by now she should know enough about our fair city. Oh my God! There's like actual yes. Yes. doors that close. Don't worry. Okay. All these, right. These All right. Pay no attention to those armed guards. They're here to protect us. All right, guys. Take it easy. All right. That's enough locks. Okay. She's in the vault, people. All right. Can you name a band uh, from Boston that you appreciate? It's a little... Does Aerosmith count? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, Are you a fan? Uh, I was. I I actually haven't thought about them in years. I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Aerosmith is kind of the quintessential answer to that i met i met steven tyler once uh, my uncle chris uh procured backstage passes for an aerosmith concert now it turns out i think there are backstage passes and there are backstage passes and we kind of only got you know the jv version of a backstage pass because that it allowed us to stand in line and meet steven tyler and have him sign something right and so I'm in line, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm probably, you know, 23 years old, something like that, and trying to think of something to say to Steven Tyler that maybe he hasn't heard before, right? <laughs> and I have, and I get up there, and I got nothing, and I looked at him, and I go, Steven, you're the balls. And he goes, thank you, man. Yeah. And he signed my thing, and I just kept walking, and I'm like, damn it! <laughs> but, I'm yeah. sure no one has said that to him, though. Uh, I have a feeling. Well, even if they did, it, it, it did not blow his skirt up, I can assure you. <laughs> so, have you ever met someone famous and, like, wanted to kind of take them out of their famous zone? Do you, actually, do you, yeah. have a, do you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, tell us something. Uh, the only two famous people I ever met were I was uh, sophomore in college in Boston, and I was working at Starbucks. I was a barista. And I was coming up the stairs. There was a basement area of the Starbucks. It was the one on Mass Ave, um, right across from Berkeley. Okay. Music. I gotcha. Yep. And there's a basement where all of this boxes are stored. And I was moving out of my, I guess it was my freshman year dorm. It was, I don't know. And I'm I sorry, was, you, I, I spaced out. You were at school where? I went to Northeastern. Northeastern. Okay. Yeah. So Go I was here for... Yeah. Boston. That's what brought me here um, okay. when I was four. I was very advanced. <laughs> right. And I was pulling the boxes up from the stairs and someone was in front of the door and I had to like shove the door open to knock this person out mm. door, who happened to be Danny DeVito. No way. Who was smoking a cigar in the Starbucks, which I thought was really inappropriate as an employee because it was against our policy. Of course. Um, of course, I didn't tell him that because I'm a rule follower, but I'm also a total wuss. So he <laughs> was, ended up being there to get Starbucks and Ben and Jerry's to come to the set. They were filming a movie oh. in Boston, 
And so I got asked. This was circa 19, uh, two, this is probably 2000 by okay. this point. It was probably the summer of 2000. Do you know what movie it was? It was um, The Worst It Could Get or like it was oh, yeah. that uh, familiar. Martin Lawrence, Danny DeVito. So I went to the right. set to serve frappuccinos to the cast and Danny DeVito was there with his That's wife so cool. and kids. And as I was leaving, I saw Martin Lawrence just sitting on like a closed down street with some people. And I loved you love Martin, Martin Lawrence, Lawrence yeah. in 2000. Now, for those who don't know and remember, he was, for a brief period, he was kind of like the new Eddie Murphy. You know, he had a show, Martin, he, he had like... Was that was that his album or his show called Martin Lawrence? You so crazy, mm, and he yeah. was just irreverent and and I don't know what happened to him. I guess he's probably still kicking around. But. He probably is, uh, yeah. but he was. I was. Uh, so I was like twenty. I cl- I wasn't even allowed to drink yet. Right. And I saw him, and I thought, oh my gosh, if I don't go talk to him, I'm going to regret this for the rest right. of my life. Yeah. So I ran over with the co- coworker that I was with and just started talking to him. And I ended up becoming really like infatuated with his brother who was on set. Oh, is his brother his, his brother was his also brother. in the film or? He was I don't know if he was working on the film. He's not an actor at yeah. all. Oh, but okay. I thought he was really cute and I was twenty and he was probably like thirty six. Yeah. I thought it was very exciting. And so I gave him my number because <laughs> of course at the time there was no like texting. Didn't even right. exist yet. Yeah, at the right time. And so we hung out like that summer. And so I would go to Martin. You dated, you dated Martin Lawrence's brother. I don't know if I'd call it dating, <laughs> but it was very fun. Wow. And I went to the Four Seasons where Martin was staying to like, and he was there like eating a sub sandwich. It was very surreal. But his brother was like one of the most genuinely sweetest men ever. Very sweet and respectful. Yeah. And for years would call me on Thanksgiving, see how my Come on. doing, how my family's doing. He was the nicest guy. Now, this was obviously like 20 years ago, but yeah. um, he was so sweet. And so wow. that's really my only famous person story. That's a damn good one, though. So and that was so it sounded like you, you, you only got to hang out with Martin a short bit. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I, if he said a word to me, like... So he, he was like so in off- the background. He was... So off camera, he was not larger than life necessarily. No, he was yeah. in a white so terry they- cloth bathrobe eating a sub sandwich <laughs> in a chair. <laughs> oh, he, he was just like us. It. Never, never meet your heroes. This, by the way, you just piqued my curiosity because I, I, you know, I try to keep track of all the movies that were shot in Boston, but after a while, I lost track because there were so many. This was the trailer. Oh, that's for, it. Yeah. What's, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? We'll take totally. a brief listen here. <laughs> Give me the dollars, give me the dollars, put them here. <laughs> and most of it was stolen. Here, here, Max, here, Max. The big tackle? You sneeze in Boston and it lands on something owned by Max Fairbanks. John Leguizamo, like right? The outfit. Mm. I'm naked. No. But what happens when a con man. Ooh. Oops, sorry, don't know what happened. Man. Uh, how about I walk out of here? Nothing taken, nothing harm. How does that sound? You stay where you are, or I shoot you in the head. How's that sound? Violent. You come into my house, 
and take my ring. Stop tripping, all right? This is my ring. Sure, give him the ring. I robbed a thief. How could you not see the humor in that? Now, what began as a game... Everything is going to be fine as long as I hold on to this lucky ring. ...has become a battle of wills. You don't know what he started. Motion detectors activated. No, no, this movie looks... So there. So he's a thief. He and Leguizamo are thieves, it looks like. Yeah. What is crazy is I had never actually watched the movie. Oh, look, there's Toby from uh, the West Wing. I recognize him right there. And uh, now, look, I'm, we're trying to spot the Boston. Um, this is not good podcasting, people, by the way. <laughs> Again, do as I say, not as I do. But we're trying to spot Boston landmarks in this trailer. And I, I do kind of saw the back bay in there. Yeah, they. Um, do you remember oh, where Bernie the Mac. real world was filmed in that old firehouse in Beacon Hill? Yeah, they it, used that for I know part of the movie. Oh, okay. I think they lived in it or as an apartment or something. Makes sense. Um, but I don't. I don't think I. Oh, ever that saw was it. that was funny. That was such a movie trope. He was Danny DeVito was holding up a magazine which was supposed to be Playboy, but it instead it said Playhouse because obviously they didn't get the uh, <laughs> copyright. And now Danny DeVito is jumping onto a boat, and I'm wondering if that was shot in Boston Harbor. Probably not. I mean, the permits and everything. Anyway, okay, well, that, I guess we kind of know why that movie wasn't a, a classic. Yeah, it's too mm. bad. But how nice is Danny DeVito? Like, yeah. forgetting his whole cast, Starbucks and Ben and Jerry's. He's such a sweet guy. I have Even though he heard smokes him, cigars in the Starbucks. I have heard him in... <laughs> And and, uh, and I'm glad you let it slide. I mean, for everything that I Danny did. DeVito has brought it's us true. in his comedy, you know, it's very true. Um, I've always liked him. Everybody usually has, and he. We know this. He has aged. If you look, he hasn't aged. <laughs> pardon me. If you look at so that was him in 2000. If you um, rewound to him in the TV show Taxi, circa like 1979, he, I'm sure he'd look exactly the same. And even today, he probably looks mostly the he same. Does. You know. Uh, all right. Well, that was a parenthesis, but I guess should we let her out of the the vault? I'll ask you one more Boston question. Okay. Um, oh, we'll give you an easy one. What's your favorite uh, fast food joint around town? And it can be a chain. It can be not a chain. It doesn't matter. But see, so I don't. Really... How about how about when you were at uh, Northeastern? I mean, like the late oh, night munchy places. Yeah. Like, so there was a, I think it was called a Boston House of Pizza or University House of Pizza that had a white pizza, mm. which is really hard to find in Boston yeah. when I first moved here, as well as ZD Pizza, which is even harder to find. It's basically pizza topped with baked ZD. Wow. And so I spent many, many nights ordering white and ZD pizzas. The white pizza always, like I've had white pizza and it's good, but it's always like... It's one of these weird, like it's an invention that isn't really an invention. Like, hey, let's make pizza, but don't put tomato sauce on it. Wow, brilliant. Okay, yeah, <laughs> good. But it tastes good, though. It does. Yeah. If it's made right. Okay. You have uh, successfully navigated the, the uh, Boston Vault. Kristen, we're going to let you out. Well done. Well Thank done. you. Oh, goodness. Wait, where's that the crowd? Okay, there so, before we continue, I do want to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor, the U.S. Postal Service, second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today at usps.com slash careers. From mail carriers to corporate management, the USPS works together to provide efficient, affordable service to the American public. The workers are the backbone of its service. And the USPS wants to develop an advanced career, so its development programs train and prepare employees for promotion and growth in a variety of business areas. 
Everything you need to know is at the website, usps.com slash careers. It's the policy of the Postal Service to provide equal employment opportunity and prevent employment discrimination. The Postal Service seeks to attract and retain a diverse workforce in which employees respect and value each other's differences and work to promote collaboration, flexibility, and fairness so that all employees are able to participate and contribute to their full potential. Apply today. Website, once again, usps.com slash careers. The U.S. Postal Service deliver for the nation. It's the first time in probably about a month that I've gotten through that without flubbing it in some way. That's good. Or getting bored and slipping into a British accent or something <laughs> like that. Um, so uh, tell us, give us the 30 seconds. On what, so Kristen's over at Eckert Byrne, and we mentioned our mutual dear friend, Anna Byrne, who founded the firm, yes. right? Um, and give us, and don't don't lapse into that boring lawyer stuff, but but tell us uh, in a nutshell what you do and how you help people. Sure. Let's do that. So I help families and individuals articulate their legacy and really work to organize what they have, who's important to them, where they want it to go, how they want it to go. And my goal with every single client is I want to give their kids or families, whoever's going to be left when they're behind, just the gift of being able to grieve. Mm -hmm. Because when someone passes away and you're dealing with lawyers and messy finances and trying to figure out what someone owns or how to access it, you can't grieve their loss and you're stunted in that that grief. And I want when someone passes away that their kids, spouse – their whole job is to just memorialize them, think about them, and everything else is just easy and magically taken care of. So on the planning side, I help to make that happen through advanced planning with getting everything set up before someone passes away. Or if I haven't been involved in the estate plan, helping the family navigate the probate administration, the will administration, mm-hmm. um, and in just really getting clients to focus on what is important and has value to them mm-hmm. so that when they're physically gone, their legacy does live on and the things that are important are instilled in their family. You, my friend, have practiced this. That was very good. That was actually the first time I've ever done it Are you like serious? that. Yeah, I was a little nervous about it. Well, you had was me it, from okay? yeah, yes, no, it was excellent. You had me from articulate your legacy, which articulate your legacy that has such a nice ring to it. It sounds like a lyric to a Duran Duran song or something. It's but my it's band. Yeah. <laughs> articulate your legacy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen. Articulate your legacy. Yeah, I can hear it right now. Um, so that's cool. And and I, maybe you've said this, maybe I'm asking a question that's already been answered, but why do you like it? I love helping clients mm-hmm. in, in a controlled environment. So when I first started practicing, I did a lot of, I was in general practice and I did a lot of family law, child custody cases, litigation, criminal. It was like, I had no idea what I was doing because I was doing so much. Like, you know, you can yeah. only know so much. But I felt like any divorce or custody battle, it there was no easy answer. And everything I was doing, I felt like was almost hurting the situation. Mm-hmm. Because these are families that are struggling to pay bills and struggling to pay me because they're fighting over everything. It's just taking away from their family. And I yeah. felt like I wasn't providing value to them and their life. And I wasn't able to approach it in a way. I've talked to family law attorneys now who love it and breathe it, and they are so good at it, and they they approach it in such a different way. And I couldn't be the lawyer I wanted to be in that environment. And yeah, it's the, almost like you were part of the you felt like part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Very much. Right. Yeah. And I couldn't. 
I just, my personality and my strengths in life, that was just not what I was ever going to be good at. I mm -hmm. just, you have to live in the gray in litigation. You have to be quick on your feet. You have to have an, I don't want to say an air of bullshit because all of the litigators out there are going to be like, I'm not a bullshitter, but it, it's in a positive way. Like you have right. to be able to bullshit your way through a trial sometimes because you don't know the answer, mm -hmm. but you have to fight for your client and you have to pretend that you know it. And I do not live in that space. Like I cannot say something unless I know it and I know it to be true and I can't fight for something unless I believe in it. And I am like everything my dad told me not to be as a lawyer, which is like, mm -hmm. don't be emotionally invested. Mm. And he was like, you know, be into the process, but the outcome, you should never be in emotionally invested in the outcome. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I felt like either I can't be a lawyer or I need to find an area of law that speaks to my strengths. And estate planning was the one place that I felt like I'm in control. I'm not working against a bad system. Like right. granted there's, you know, courts and the IRS and tax stuff, but I can work within those parameters. And then the result and what my clients are paying me for is truly enriching their lives, enriching their their kids' lives. And mm -hmm. I've seen it happen when someone passes away. Or I've seen the, the kids come to my office after their parents have signed documents, just the relief that they have on their faces. And I love contributing to that in some way to help these families. And again, it all comes down to I just want someone, when they die, anyone they le are left behind can just not have to deal with that part of it and that just love them. Yeah, that is refreshing, and I think most lawyers say they get into it to help people, but uh, it it that's kind of pablum, I, I'm afraid, for a lot of people. And then they get caught up in the in what they're doing. And you mentioned how the system can work against you; it certainly can. And people that are trial lawyers and litigators, it it can be a frustrating exercise. Now, some of them absolutely love it too, and and you know, every once in a while they get that big win and really like turn someone's life around for the good. But there are, there's also a ton of delay and there's a ton of, of you know, angst and uh, that's not the right word. Just um, the the tenor of that, of the case becomes so um, bitter, just embittered. And you're dealing with bitter people on the other side. And before you know it, you're in this big mess of a case that, and, and like no one's going to win. Exactly. And what you're saying is, if I hear you right. When you sit down and listen to a person, hear their story, and hear the way they want to write their legacy, you can help them write that with, with, that, with no one telling you what to do, at least at, at the outset. You know, obviously, you're writing the plan within the boundaries of the law and what you know about the law, but you can really construct every plan to help people see their way through until the, you know, the finish line. Exactly. Right. And even if it's something that's not maybe legally binding, empowering people with just the ability to write wishes and letters and they know that you know no one has to follow this specific thing but that their family will take that into account of how this money should be used or how this um, rights to this book should be used or where this art should be hung it's just so important so you so yeah some people would imagine that a lawyer like you just is like, okay, let's figure out specifically what money is going to whom and then how we're going to navigate your plan to maximize your after-tax legacy. You know, that's not the right term, but um, um, you know this, obviously. When someone has a lot of money, the it's the, you know, the Trump calls it the death tax or whatever, But and you, you find ways to, to help people navigate that. But that was a, a long run-up to this question. <laughs> Sorry. But... It sounds like you're also saying things like, uh, tell me 
Mr. Client or Ms. Client specific things about people in your life and what you want for them and what you, you know the way you see this story playing out after you go. Exactly. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. it okay. is. As with anything, it is about the why. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Why do you want your kids to have a third at twenty five and half at forty of the like? Why? What? Mm-hmm. What are you concerned about? What are you protecting them against, or what are you protecting for themselves? It's all about the why, and then having them understand that it is so much beyond the money. Mm-hmm. Especially now, it's an exciting time in the trust and estates world because of the idea of digital assets and people have blogs and websites and email addresses yeah. and things that maybe don't have a podcasts, monetary podcast. Yes, thank you. Your website, David, <laughs> if you pass away, who knows how to make that podcast website keep going? Damn it. Let's talk after the show. <laughs> there's vultures out there that will yeah. swoop in, host completely inappropriate material to hold that site ransom. And if a family member doesn't even know how to access or who's hosting it to pay it, it can become a disaster. And there's certain assets like cryptocurrency and Bitcoins that there's clear value. But Mm. having clients understand the sentimental part of their plan, pictures, websites, blogs, Mm. social media, so that they're not getting alerted on their child's birthday to wish them a happy birthday after they've died on Facebook because they can't figure out how to take the site down. Yeah. It's getting them to realize this is so much more right, than just stop. your money. You're scaring Sorry. the shit out of me. <laughs> no, I just, Sorry. No, uh, it, I, I say that uh, in glib fashion, but I say that because what you're saying is absolutely true because I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, there is a, a very small secretive group of people that is privy to the intellectual property that is uh, the Boston Podcast Network here. Um, but what you're saying is absolutely true. You know, if I um, head across High Street here in Westwood and get hit by one of those trucks that doesn't look both ways before they come flying down the street, you know who you are, <clears throat> excuse me, then um, <laughs> I would want someone to, you know, pick this up. Everyone who runs a business that they're proud of would want someone to pick it up. By the way, as an aside, confession is good for the soul. I need to confess something. Every once in a while when I see someone passes away, whether it's um, not necessarily a famous person, but maybe sort of someone in your town or everything, every once in a while I go to Facebook just to look at their page because there's something creepy about seeing a Facebook page of someone who just died. There is. (laughs) Does that make me a terrible person? No, not at all. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it can be upsetting. But it also can be a place for people to mourn. So having the ability to keep it as a memorial page is important too. So we're just becoming so technologically advanced and our laws are not there yet. So some of it is out of our control and it's planning around that, but it's an important piece. Well, if you want to get in touch with Kristen and talk more about articulating your legacy, see, I remembered that. I'm going to write it down. (laughs) Um, Go to EckertBurn.com. So that's Eckert as an E-C-K. K-E-R-T-B-Y-R-N-E.com, EckertBurn.com. You find Kristen's um, bio there and ways to get in touch with her, etc. We still have to hear about uh, Kristen's brilliant daughter and um, how she was raised by hippies and ghosts. Don't worry, it's coming up uh, just shortly in the program. I do want to tell you about our new partner here at Pod617.com. They're called Adori. This company is going to change the way that you consume podcasts in the future it normally just listen to your podcast they're going to change the way you consume it so they're going to give you like whipped cream and drizzle uh chocolate and stuff and sprinkles and stuff and that's the way you're going to eat your podcast now wouldn't that be cool though um adori is a company that modernizes all types of traditional audio including podcasting by embedding interactive elements into the audio signal itself so we're talking about 
things like links, social feeds, videos, uh, images, polls. So this is what I'm saying, people. When you listen, if you're, you could be listening, because this, this podcast, this very podcast now is on the Adori app. If you're probably not listening to it on the Adori app, because this is kind of a newfangled thing. But check it out. Go to the App Store. Download it. It's A-D-O-R-I. That's an anagram for radio, by the way, because it harkens back to when we used to love radio. But again, the innovation is you can actually watch a podcast. There are images that come up. Like if I just say, what should I say? Peanut butter sandwich. Well, now, if you were listening on the Adori app, you would glance at your phone and see a picture of a peanut butter sandwich. Um, what else What else do you want to conjure up? How about um, bourbon? Bob, bourbon. We're going to talk, <laughs> we're talk about bourbon later, for sure. Um, but we, but Chris and I both discovered we're mutual uh, bourbon enthusiasts. That's a classy way of saying we like to swill bourbon. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. See? A picture of Bobcat Goldthwait just came up on your screen. So you can let your imagination run one run wild. But uh, Adori provides an unprecedented level of listener analytics. Uh, they also provide stuff like click-throughs, purchases, impressions. So if you're a podcaster, you want to know about Adori, go download the Adori app or on Twitter at Adori Labs. Um, all right. Let's do uh, – well, heck, you brought up um, uh, the – beverage uh, adult beverages uh Kristen. so with that in mind let's um let's do an edition of good stuff right now oh that's the good stuff so on good stuff we recommend things to people could be books tv shows could be uh you know restaurants could be a new app on your phone or it could be uh delicious delicious beverage i haven't had any except coffee today i swear (laughs) um so now my journey as a as a bourbon drinker i feel like we're sitting in aa here um but but um you know in college i like a lot of people drank a lot of cheap beer and then you know it's fun i just find it funny how your palate you know changes i don't know if you're the same um but i just appreciated um bourbon because it's it's a different experience you know so uh, what Tell us about your bourbon journey, Kristen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My bourbon journey was long, um, but ingrained in me. My grandmother was a whiskey I see drinker. what you did there. Grain. Oh, grain yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, she distilled in me to love <laughs> oh <my. laughs> bourbon, <laughs> um, but more whiskey. So my grandmother loved Manhattans. And That's my drink. I knew she loved Manhattans, and I... First time I had whiskey was at Dick's Last Resort. Oh, wow. Boston throwback. I had yeah. a whiskey sour. I was probably like 22 years old. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. And I was like, what is this flavor? That's a good uh, gateway drug. Uh, whiskey Very. sour. <laughs> to, oh, my because God. Because it doesn't really taste like whiskey. It's a good drink. No, but, yeah. but you can get the the flavor to it. So if For you sure, drink yeah. a whiskey sour and you hate it, like you will never... Well, that's or true. You yeah. probably won't like whiskey. You'll have to learn to love it. Yeah. But I loved it. And then I... You know, as a child, I was a little immature, so there was a lot of Jack Daniels, which is yeah. horrible, um, which then switched to Jameson. They're a, they're a sponsor of the show, by the way, oh, Jack Daniels. I'm no, I'm sorry. just I'm just kidding. JD, I actually was talking to a guy. No, I'll listen. I confess, I can't do Jack Daniels either. Like it's 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 a living hell if you're like on an airplane. Like, do you have any bourbons? Like, we have Jack Daniels. It's like, uh, no. no, I need a, I need a at least a mild step up. Although I'm told I was talking to a guy from Jack Daniels recently 
And they do a podcast they're very proud of. I was at this podcast conference, and he said that, well, i got to try Jack Daniels. Like, oh, he's going to kill me because I forget what the product is called. But they have a high end. Mm. So maybe someday, and I'm sure. Maybe and someday we'll do a, a taste test, Christian. We You're, should. Yeah. And a blind taste test because yes. I might be surprised at myself. That's a good idea. So, so you were saying Jack Jim- Daniels then switched to Jameson, which I did Jameson for a long time, which is just Irish whiskey. It's not of course, a bourbon. Not a bourbon. Um, yep. For whiskey people out there, do you have a little Irish blood in your custom? I do. You I do. Have I do too. About eighteen percent per twenty three andme dot com. Really? Yeah. <laughs> See, I think I have something like forty five percent, but uh, I haven't done the the buccal swab thing, the cotton swab yeah. thing. Anyway. Well, it's like, Good. yeah, spitting in a cup for right. a long time. Um, so with, I loved Irish whiskey. I had a sweeter palate when I was younger, so I liked that it was a sweet whiskey. It's yeah. got vanilla notes, and it's fairly smooth. I loved the Black Label Jameson. It was like my favorite. So it was a higher end Jameson. Ooh, I, I was so into Jameson that I was at Top of the Hub and and had a $45 shot of Jameson Reserve wow. that I found. Ooh la la. And it was the craziest experience because you know how really bad whiskey, when you drink it, it's like fire? Yeah, it burns you first, your throat. It's awful. Yeah. A really good whiskey is super smooth, right. goes down easy. Um, this was like the reverse experience. So it went down smooth as water, mm. but then a couple seconds after you finished drinking it was like hot fire. Mm. Really? Not in a bad way, but just in a, oh my God, what is happening? Way? Like in your face, sort of hot, or like in no, your like throat in your, and tummy? Yeah, yeah in okay. your chest, hot. Oh, wow. It's like had already been Yikes. in my stomach, and it wasn't a bad burn. It was interesting. Totally worth the $45. I would never buy a <laughs> bottle of it, right. but I was super into it at the time. And then my palate changed. I'd also changed my diet. I cut out sugar and cut out kind of processed foods. Mm. And so I found that the Jameson was just a really sweet whiskey. Yeah. And then d- discovered Basil Hayden's, which yeah, was very like good bourbon. Yep. the first time I had bourbon where I was like, this is like my life. Yep. And what's fascinating to me about bourbon is that it has to be mostly corn yep. to be a bourbon legally. Um, and corn to me is very sweet mm-hmm. as a product. We make corn syrup out of it. Yep. But I find that bourbon, even though it's mostly corn, is actually not very sweet. And Basil Hayden itself, the way they they distill it is more of a rye. Yeah. It tastes more like a rye, feels like a rye, more than a bourbon. Yeah. Um, But every time then since I've had Basil Hayden's, I've tried other bourbons. I just, now they're my go-to. Well, you went, you... You went to it's like you went to a hotel for the first time and checked into the Four Seasons, yeah. and then you can't exactly go to Motel Six after that. You can't. So, but I'll do Maker's Mark if I have to see at that, a wedding. That's Maker's Mark is my sort of baseline bourbon. Like, yeah. uh, like that's you know mo- right. At a, most places will have it. You're at a wedding. You're at a function or whatever, and hopefully they've got at least Maker's. And I enjoy Maker's. Basil Hayden is definitely a step up. What's your? Do you have a treat bourbon like higher end than Basil Hayden or Nara? No, I've always wanted to try the um, what is it? Pappy's. Oh yeah, uh, Pappy Van Winkle. Yes. Yeah. And so I went to Citizens uh, Public House mm-hmm. on Boylston Street. I think it's Boylston down by Fenway, mm-hmm. and they had Pappy Van Winkles, mm-hmm. which I've been. I, I've heard podcasts about this whiskey. <laughs> I've heard you know it's so at this point, just like an urban legend to me of yeah. whiskeys. And so they had it there. And yeah. it was $125 a shot. What? I and, didn't realize And this. it was my birthday. And I said to the bartender, like, I am 
a thousand percent prepared to buy this whiskey, like yeah. get a shot of this whiskey. Yeah. I've been wanting to try it. Is it worth it? Yeah. And he was like, no. <laughs> do, he's like, do not waste your money. And I have to be honest, I'm not going to respect you. Yeah, you're paying you for it. the marketing. Yeah. So I didn't yeah. get it. And yeah. I, there's part of me that a little regrets it. And then part of me that feels really happy because I think I would have been uh, really disappointed. I'm yeah. waiting for someone to be somewhere and like them break right. out a bottle of Pappies. There's and that's only, when I will try it. There's only one solution to this. You and I have to conspire to steal a bottle of Pappy Van yeah. Winkles. Or get somewhere. them to yeah. sponsor the show. And that's then a good idea. Send you some oh, okay. Are you listening, Pappy Van Winkle? L- listen to us gushing about bourbon. <laughs> um, please send us over a case. Uh, yeah, my tip for you would be a couple of the high ends that I like. I don't love Woodford's as much as everyone else does. It's, it's nice. It's fine. Yeah. I find it a sweet bourbon. Yeah. It tastes like whiskey, Irish whiskey to me. Yeah. On a blind taste test, I would not know the difference. I like Knob Creek, but I will steer clear away from whatever their maple thing is, which that, that it tastes like syrup. Um, so uh, Baker's is good. Um, I've Baker's. Yeah, higher end, um, a little a tad stronger and then my treat bourbon is uh bookers i mix up sometimes bookers my book you gotta know your bookers from your bakers if you're a bourbon drinker people um bookers is it's delicious and it's it's actually the strongest drink you'll ever have (laughs) like it's it is it's a hundred proof i think is that is that do i have my math right i think it's a hundred proof which means it's essentially 50 percent alcohol but you don't notice it per se it mm. tastes like it just tastes like a really good bold uh bourbon and so do you like to make yourself a manhattan or on or occasion just, yeah. I, my go-to is neat really I love old just school a neat bourbon yeah. but yeah. if i'm feeling like i want a cocktail i'm out it's then i'll do manhattans i love manhattans yeah and then i think of my grandma oh I love a Manhattan. It's it, but you can, it's so easy to ruin it. If like you have to be, if you're at like an upscale hotel, they're going to pride themselves on making good cocktails. They'll make a nice Manhattan. If you're at just kind of your average like restaurant and you order one, you're you're rolling the dice because people they'll take the sweet vermouth and they'll dump it in, and it's it's too sweet and it just ruins it. You got to be very judicious with the vermouth, and then. Yeah. You, but you might want to explore the world of bitters because there's, there's amazing things going on in the world of bitters I've now. I've heard that. I've, yeah. Is there someone in USA 500 who's like child Ye- owns a bitters company or something? I was something? just going to say that. It's creepy. It's like you're reading my mind. It must, my it must be the ghost. You're talking about Frank <laughs> yeah. Rudowitz. Well, okay. my husband calls it the Red Queen. Okay. So these are my Red Queen powers. Uh, is that a Game of Thrones reference? No. No, you're just up. the Red Queen. He thinks there's Kristen a Red has, Queen living in me. <laughs> Kristen has red hair. So there you go. Um, but... Uh, yes, our apparent mutual friend, Frank Rudowitz, who's over at, um, is he over at Markham? He switched firms recently. He's going to kill me if I got it wrong. No, is it, sorry, Frank, I'm going to look up where you, um, where you work now and get it right the next time I mention you on the podcast. But Frank's, uh, CPA, former cop, awesome guy, um, and forensic investigator. He has a son named Craig, Craig Rudowitz, who produces crude bitters so that's a play on his name c rude and i um bought some of these these very bitters that you're referring to on the internet and it was like some exotic flavor like pomegranate pineapple or i don't know but it was good it was good um you can go though at a liquor store and they'll have like orange bitters and cherry bitters which is my favorite the cherry bitters just a couple of dashes of those cherry bitters in your bourbon it's a little slice of heaven i'm gonna try that okay 
And by the way, just as a final note, scotch, no, no scotch, never? I've tried. I went to a scotch tasting and probably yeah. had 50 different scotches, and you do not want to know what I looked like walking <laughs> out of there. Um, I just can't do the peat. I just don't love that that type of smokiness. Me too. It, it like just it. hit. There's something I can't describe. The word is not necessarily strong, but it's there's something sort of halting about it that just when it hits me, it's just not pleasant. If it's super good scotch, then I can drink one and, and I'll be happy. But that's like, now I'm a spoiled brat scotch drinker and I don't want to be that. So I stay in my lane. Mm. Uh, okay, so um, drink more bourbon, people. It'll make you, you'll make yourself happy. And, and yes. some companies should come out with organic bourbon. I would like them to try that. Oh, yeah. All of these GMOs with corn in this country. Don't get me started. And I want my bourbon to be nice and... Let's do it ourselves. Like I'll be organic. your assistant. Red Queen bourbon. Let's make, yeah. Red Queen <laughs> bourbon. I lo- orga- all See? organic. All organic. I, yeah. It's going to be my second career in life. <laughs> it, I am jealous of those people that like start their own booze lines, but it's like, where do you begin? And like, be like uh, it seems like such a long, painstaking process, which is why I'm glad other people do it for exactly. us. So um, we are up against the clock a little bit here, but a couple things we promised we'd get to. Uh, first of all, your daughter's brilliant. She's two. And you were just telling me that um, she's got these complex thoughts about, I don't know how much you want to get into it, Kristen, but that she she loves fictional characters like Darth Vader because they find redemption and goodness, right? I should have let yeah. you tell the story. Yeah. But, but yeah, tell us a little more about that. No, she loves a bad guy. It started when yeah. she was super young. We have this awesome book card called Marlon Bundo. I don't know if you've heard of it, John. Yeah, Oliver. John Oliver. Yeah, and there's a he. John Oliver did that as a as a spoof, as an answer to I think Mike Pence's Mike Pence's book. book. Yeah. yeah, about his bunny. Mike Pence legitimately has a bunny named yeah. Marlon Bundo. Marlon Bundo. Yeah, and Mike Pence wrote a book, and a lot of the proceeds went to like pretty organizations <laughs> that I don't necessarily align with. <laughs> Well and nor do, does John Oliver. So he created this book about Marlon Bundo, who's a bunny, Mike Pence's bunny, who mm-hmm. falls in love with another male bunny. And they it's right. their love story. And there is a bad guy who's the stink bug that has very similar hair to Mike Pence. Yeah. And he wants to tell all of the animals that, you know, a boy bunny can't marry a boy bunny. Yeah. And they all get very upset and they, you know, vote him out, which is really nice. Mm. And they all live happily ever after. And when my daughter was really little, she loved the stink bug. Every page, and I was starting to get nervous of like, this yeah, girl is going to be picking the bad like, guy. a Republican someday. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Right. And so it, then she became older, and she still always gravitated towards the bad guys. And we realized after, when she could become more verbal, she loves a bad guy that then really is good. So Darth Vader, who becomes good, or Zerg from Toy Story, who's Buzz Lightyear's um, nemesis, nemesis at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Willy Wonka, if you remember the Willy yes, Wonka movie, of course. Um, Slugworth, yes, is we- like pretending to be the bad guy, and at the end, you find out he's a good guy. She yeah. loves Slugworth. Yeah, she loves anyone that I think can show that they can redeem themselves, and that. I think she likes the com- complexity of the... She's two. So right. emotions to her are the most important thing. And the only thing she really is starting to understand at this point. So sadness, happy, anger. And when she sees someone who's sad or angry, I think she's also just so kind at heart. She wants them to feel better. And yeah. then when they do, she just she just loves It's a wonderful loves. quality. You want to hear my Slugworth imitation? Yeah. And remember the name. 
everlasting gobstopper. How was that? It's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. You just need a scar on your face. Yeah, he was evil looking, and then turns out not to be Slugworth at all. Exactly. Turns out to be, spoiler alert, he actually worked for Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka was just testing um, Charlie Buckets. Yeah, I know this movie pretty well. My <laughs> son Adrian talks about it all the, all the time. But by the way, a little harsh there, Willy Wonka. The, he really put Charlie through the ringer there. She gets so upset at the end. Yeah. She just goes, no, no. And she starts jumping up and down. Nice to Charlie. Nice to Charlie. Yeah. She gets so upset. Wrong, sir. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> right. You stole the fizzy lifting gas. and exactly. you, Yeah. And, but uh, Gene Wilder. What, oh, uh, he's so yes, genius. We, so we missed genius. Gene Wilder terribly. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, and finally, your parents were hippies and there was a ghost in your bedroom or something. Yeah, Did, I, that's this a is in my notes, extreme. Kristen. So, right. <laughs> well, tell so, us a little bit about that. My parents were total normal citizens and humans. They, my dad was a lawyer. My mom had her master's. She was a teacher. They were, you know, outwardly, completely typical white yeah. suburban family. Okay, you grew up in Jersey. We in said Jersey, this, yeah. 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 Um, but my dad was always really looking for like something spiritual in his life. He struck. Mm-hmm. I think it's no secret he struggles with a lot of. Um, kind of not demons, but he was, he's always looking for growth and help and how to make the life world better. He's a very, why I say hippies is he's just a very peace and love type of guy. And so when I was little, they did a lot of different types of religious groups that Mm -hmm. some people describe as cults, (laughs) but I was never like in a cult. I never, we almost moved to Texas to live somewhere, but we did not. Um, there aren't, and, there, there weren't people coming through your house at all hours of the night in weird flowing robes and well, incest and things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have robes <laughs> though, but they were involved in a lot of just kind of fringe religious groups. Okay. So I knew that, obviously. I lived through it. Um, I'm now, you know, at the time, I was in my early 30s, and we were just sitting around the table, and my mom started telling me this story about when I was little, and she said, you know, you were such a calming baby, you had such a soft disposition, you're such a sweet aura, and I shouldn't use the word aura, but energy. Mm-hmm. She was like, that's why the woman would come in your bed at night and hold you as a baby, and I just at her and I was like what are you talking about what strange woman did you allow into my bedroom she said the ghost that lived in your room when you were little I said what ghost lived in my room but by the way in full disclosure I'm an atheist I don't believe in ghosts Mm -hmm. the whole concept actually freaks me out and scares me I don't like the idea of it so the whole conversation made me very uncomfortable I didn't ask as many questions as I probably should nor have I talked to them again about it but she said that the room that I had growing up was kind of smaller nursery. So my sister was in there. She's two years older than me. She had been in that nursery. Then she moved to her room. I was born. I go into the nursery. All of a sudden, my room just started smelling like the most sulfuric, putrid smell. And mm, they thought yucky. maybe an animal had died in it. They didn't know what was going on. Um, I don't know if they talked to their friends about it but or whether my parents witnessed it, but apparently there was a woman who was a ghost that would come into my bedroom and take me out of my crib and rock me at night in the rocking chair. And my parents thought it was because she was not able to get to the other side, that she was having some turmoil and that I was a calming spirit to her and, and energy to her. So she was drawn to me. So they but felt... But are your parents saying that they witnessed you being rocked by an apparition? 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> no, go and ahead. And didn't call the police or didn't <laughs> try to take me out of the room. But the thing that bothered them was call, not that there was a Kristen, ghost. Pardon me. Yeah. Call the police. Kristen, who you- <laughs> Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Thank you. Come on. I know. It was right there. They're not in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, they're in uh, cities. Yeah. And so we had to do what we had to do. They weren't around at the time. Maybe. No. I don't know. Anyway, um, no, they actually probably weren't. So they were not upset by the fact that there was a ghost rocking me at night. What bothered them was this smell coming out of my room. Right. So they had their friends come over at night and they lit sage and they rocked this table to help them connect with the other worlds. So this is like a seance or an exorcism or a yeah, something. Yeah, they don't call yeah. it that. But <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and apparently did this ritual, and immediately the smell was smell gone. Smell was gone. And immediately the woman never came back to rock me. All right, so we produce a podcast here, Pod 617, called Monsterland, which is all about the paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, um, Bigfoot. And um, on behalf of my brothers at Monsterland... I have to say to you, it sounds like you do believe in ghosts. A little. I don't. I don't. I so really how do you don't. explain this? The smell? The I sulfur? I think there was probably a rotting like mouse in my room in the wall that uh-huh. eventually was went away. I don't know. So do you, in, when your mom used to tell you this, did you kind of say to yourself, and to this day, do you say to yourself, mom was a little, mm, uh, a little, you know? Well, if, no. I mean, if you knew them, it's little, like you know. it's totally up their alley. They love spiritualism and everything. Yeah. And so, how come you didn't inherit that? Maybe you just didn't. Um, I think I went the opposite extreme. Yeah. I really craved normality and structure. I mm-hmm. got them to start going to the Episcopal church in my town. I wanted normal. So my dad was like a yoga guy. When mm-hmm. I was little. And right now, that doesn't sound embarrassing at all. He meditated. He's meditated my whole life. When I was little, it was like completely embarrassing. Yeah. That he it's did far med- more mainstream these days with that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Now it's like totally normal and cool. Yep. He's always ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. I will say that about him. And so a lot of those things just embarrassed me as a child because I wasn't confident enough to just say like, oh, this is it and embrace it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I was like fought against it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well... Just to mess with you, I'm going to have you come rewrite my estate plan, but I want half of my estate to go to this uh, ghost named Stacy that um, lives <laughs> I draw in the, the closet line there. over there. I draw the line there. And the other half to Marlon Bundo, who doesn't <laughs> exist, actually. Uh, so, as I said... You can do a Petras, so you could leave it to Marlon Bundo. Yes, I've heard. He, no, but he did... A fictional? Can I leave it to well, a no, fictional bunny? Well, no, you have to actually leave it to my Right. <laughs> Um, I will have to buy a bunny named Marlon. Wait, he was a he's a he's a rabbit, right? He's a yeah. bunny. Yeah, he's got the big floppy ears. Okay, yeah. we love you, Marlon Bundo. Um, so you, I might have to have you back, Kristen, because I don't know if we covered everything. Maybe we'll do that bourbon taste test. Uh, not so much at uh, ten a.m. or or whatever. We'll do it at an appropriate hour. But uh, did you have fun? I did. Thank you so much. Awesome. So once again. Kristen DiZallo, I'm not going to spell her last name because it's spelled a little weird. There's a DZ in there. But um, you can find all her, Kristen's information at EckertBurn.com. And uh, check her out. Meet her. She's awesome. We didn't even get to talk about like what she does in terms of networking. And she just founded a group. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, like I don't want to say working moms. I don't want to say it wrong. And It, it is, yeah. It's working, working mamas. Moms. Okay. Yeah. And um, just lawyers or... All Everybody. different. Uh, complimentary practice types. So attorneys, accountants, financial advisors. Oh, smart. Yeah. I see what you did there. See? We'll have her back at some point in the future on the Boston Podcast. Talk about all kinds of networking stuff. 
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Hit like, uh, hit share, share and like, like and share. Love and peace, everybody. And on behalf of Kristen, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy your day, everybody. You must be the other guy.